From the studios of Teeing It Up in the, in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling um, uh, for, what is today, July 8th, 2022, and it is an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure from NBC Sports, the voice of Sunday Night Football, the primetime host of the Olympics, and you will see him all over USA, NBC, and Peacock next week for the 150th Open Championship. Mike Tirico to teeing it up. Mike, good morning. How are you? Jeremy, doing okay. Great to be with you. Excited to uh, get back to the Open. It's been a couple of years, and it's one of my favorite weeks, so I cannot wait to return. Uh, I can't wait to watch it, and I'll just be sitting here, and the little tweets that have come out from, from uh, the folks who are already over there, it's like, uh, I can't wait to just, yeah. you know, see the live images from there. Um, it's your 150th, it's your 24th consecutive, I personally don't count last year. You know, you were ready for the Tokyo Olympics, that doesn't count, uh, this is your 24th consecutive. What, what is it about this streak, this event, that means so much to you? Well, uh, I, I was so disappointed not to be able to be there last year because I really wanted uh, to get that connection of uh, the 150th Open and my 25th uh, doing this. It'll be my 24th. It's not going to change anybody's life at all, but it was cool symmetry. For sure. Uh, I hated missing last year. I've been going every year since 1997. But uh, as you said, one, the travel restrictions, we didn't have many folks over there. And then secondly, with the Olympics getting ready in Tokyo, it was, it was uh, physically impossible to do it. But, you know, Jeremy, I, I just love the event for so many reasons. I, I think I'll start on an individual level. It was the first big event that I did. Now, I covered a lot of events for Sports Center, like Super Bowls. Final Fours, College Football Championships and the like. Uh, but for me, being the play-by-play person on a big event, this was the first, and it was the British Open then. Uh, so that that meant a lot to me at the very start of my career, and Justin Leonard won the first one that I was lucky enough to call in 1997 at ABC. And just, it was a great stretch. It has been, I should say, a great stretch of opens uh, throughout the years here. So uh, the event is uh, is seared into my career. It's been such a huge part of what I've done. I'll always run into people, especially playing golf in the summer, say, yeah, I know for years I used to get up early and watch you call the British Open on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, and uh, just continue to remain involved with it as I moved to NBC was just ideal for me. And, and, and for year one at... Uh, uh, Golf Channel and NBC to get Stinson Phil is just, you know, y- you can't write a better Hollywood script. Um, you've done four of these at St. Andrews. Tiger in yeah. 2000, Tiger in 2005, um, Louis Oosthuizen looking perfect and like no one could ever beat him again in 2010, uh, and then the craziness that was uh, 2015. I was, you know, let's start with 2000. I was watching it back on uh, Golf Channel a couple nights ago. And what struck me that week was how pure Tiger's game was. And how, whether it was Finchie or your friend and colleague Curtis Strange, 
it was like he couldn't do no wrong that week, and he somehow missed every single bunker ever invented at St. Andrews. Yeah. It, it was like he could not miss a, a shot or a putt, and everything was left in the right spot. When you think back to 2000, here uh, 22 years later, what still stands out about that to you? Well, a ton of things. Uh, one was we were really in the height of Tiger Mania at that point, right? You, you get 90, 70 splashes on the scene, uh, then there's a slight dip uh, after that. And remember, we were a month on the heels of the 15-shot win at Pebble in the U.S. Open the month before that, which, because of our NBC, the other relationship, ESPN had the rights to the U.S. Open. So we had just come off of... Uh, Thursday, Friday coverage with Tiger at Pebble. And if you remember, that year at the U.S. Open, we had uh, fog delays, marine layer delays, and stuff got pushed back towards prime time. And we had Tiger on until about 11 o'clock on the East Coast. And that Friday night, he really extended the margin to a point where it was a historic win there. So you had all of that building, and now we get to the Open at St. Andrews and the chance to complete the career grand slam there. So all of that build-up was part of it. His game was impeccable, as you said, at that point. I always said the 15th club the Tiger had that beat so many guys so often was his mind. And his ability to be precise and disciplined enough to miss every bunker at St. Andrews and to aim away from them and all that stuff. So all of that there together. But if you ask me, Jeremy, an image that sticks with me, it was people everywhere. Everyone wanted a view of that piece of history, and from the hotels to the towns to the street sides to the road hole, uh, everybody was just trying to get on a balcony, stick their head out a window, just to get a look at Tiger winning the career Grand Slam. Because if you think about it, it hadn't happened in such a long time. And it had uh, rarely have ever happened on live TV. See, I, that, that's that's one research project I've thought of for years that I need to dive into. Uh, Gary Player won the 65 U.S. Open to win the Career Grand Slam. When Nicholas won it, and he would be the only one in the television era, it was taped late coverage of the Open, which is what Jack used to complete the Career Grand Slam. So that was a moment that uh, rarely had been on live TV, if at all. It had rarely been seen by people. So everybody was there. If you ask me for a snapshot of 2000 St. Andrews, it is just that scene at 18 where everybody just wanted to have their little spot to watch that very rare piece of golf history. Yeah, and I think it says a lot that so many guys right now are within one win of the career right. Grand Slam, and it still hasn't happened. And right, exactly. And, and, then, just, and, then Tiger, and then Tiger did it again at St. Andrews in 2005, <laughs> the second lap of the career Grand Slam, which only he and Nicholas have done. So uh, just to be there for both of those Opens at the Oma Golf, and I think, and you alluded to the quotes that are coming out, Jeremy, and maybe tweets from uh, an Instagram posts from overseas already. I think everybody is just razor sharp and excited for this because you look forward to St. Andrews as the home of golf to be there all the history you think of who's won there 
the chance to add your name to that list is just mouth-watering the best players in the world. And it's two years delayed. Guys thought they'd have this chance in 2020. So now it's in 2022. They're not going to have one there in 25. Are they going to wait till 2030? Who knows, right? So there are so many guys who are thinking, this might be my one chance to win the Open at St. Andrews or for Tiger, Louie, and Zach Johnson, my chance to do it again. So I think that all boils into this little mix that we have of building towards one of the best majors that we've had in a long time, at least in the anticipatory phases. 150th Open Championship next week on the platforms of NBC Universal. Mike Tirico here with us here on uh, Teeing It Up. Um, that, looking back at 2000, gives us a chance to just take a second and honor your longtime colleague, your lifelong friend, Judy Rankin, who, as much as we tried to keep her going, has, has, <laughs> has, has uh, decided to retire at the end of this year. She is a gift to all of us who love golf. Um, and what, you know, just, just what, what would you say about Judy, who was a, a, a trailblazer in so many ways, but has been that consistent voice that has stayed with us for, for all these years, uh, for all of us who love this game? The best, period. And that's all qualities of Judy as a person, as an individual who gave so much to the game of golf, uh, as aunt, mother, advisor to so many of us along the way in a really cool way. Judy's one of those people who does things and you go, man, I wish I did that that way. And Judy had a way of letting you know what was going on in the situation without making it about Judy. She had, and still has, a great way of giving you a little bit of piece of advice without reaching to you. Um, sharing sharing a moment without making it larger than life. Just things just happen in, in everyday life and Judy has a way of just kind of framing it so well. And she did on the golf course doing her job the best thing that we all can do in our industry and that's say more with fewer words. Uh, she was remarkable at that. She was so well respected by so many players, PGA Tour, LPGA, Champions Tour, you name it. Uh, Judy's a, a one of a kind. She's a Hall of Famer. She's the uh, the first lady of golf, as we like to call her when we were working with her, and holds that title. I will say, watching her farewell at uh, at the uh, ANA Inspiration, which I almost called the Dinah, uh, but <laughs> it was like it was a farewell Dinah Shore and the Chevron uh, takeover there, all the memories of Mission Hill. And I had the chance to call that event with Judy for uh, a number of times uh, over the years. Uh, I got emotional watching it. I was tearing up my hotel room watching. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's just the kind of impact Judy has on so many people. And uh, she is the best, plain and simple. Um, speaking of retirement, Sir Nick Faldo has retired, has, uh, has, has said that 2022 will, will be his last time full-time broadcasting. And as a result, Tommy Royce said on the conference call, next Friday during the second round from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time on, uh, USA Network's coverage, 
you, Zinger, and Nick are going to have one last 60 minutes uh, time together. That's going to be a blast. That will be fun. That would be fun. We could do we could do six hours. Uh, <laughs> the, the 60 minutes will be cherished. We did it at the Players' Championship a few years back as well. Uh, it'll be great to be back with those guys. You know, we, we see each other at the U.S. Open. Uh, Augusta week, uh, if Zinger happens to be in town, which he was doing BBC a few years back, uh, certainly at the Open, uh, at the Tour Championship, and it just need uh, to connect with those guys. When, when they came into the booth together, I don't think they knew how much either one of them as individuals was going to enjoy podcasting or, com- or commentating. And, and I think the competition edge that those two developed over the years on either side of the Atlantic U.S. Uh, European Ryder Cup DNA that runs through both of them, I think that really helped them become the 18-year fixtures that they've both been to the 18th Towers at different networks. Uh, they, they pushed each other. Their little yin and yang, their back and forth was just a pleasure. It was real pleasure. And it was uh, just kind of sitting point them in the right direction as they were getting started. And those guys made it magical. So to, to get the chance to do that, Nick was kind enough to reach out and give me a, a couple of days heads up on his retirement announcement that was coming. And uh, I, it, it really got me to reflect on those couple of years when we were together. And it was unique. It was different. It was two lead analysts in one booth. And, man, it was fun. And those guys have gone on to, like I said, 18 terrific years as lead analysts at different networks. I, I was thrilled that we had a chance to work together. Our opens together were special. And uh, the chance to do it one more time would be really, really cool. I'm, I'm so excited that... All of our execs uh, thought of that idea, and we'll put it into, into plan one last time on a Friday afternoon. Yep, during the second round of the 150th Open from St. Andrews, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time on USA Network. Uh, 50 hours of live tournament coverage. My guess is it will go longer because every time it, it tends to go, uh, you, you can play until way after dark or, or what would be dark here in the U.S. Um, that's right. That's, so, that's exactly right. That, that, I mean, people forget about that. I mean, they interrupt you there, but that, that is a huge part of the open. It's a one T start. You know how we'll go off of one in 10 for the majors in the U.S., because of the time of year and where we are, and also the geography of the golf courses, uh, you know, we, we go we go off of one tee. So you have starting times from six forty-five a.m. usually on until like four p.m. in the afternoon. And you know, we have folks finishing around nine fifteen. I've spent many a Thursday and Friday watching this company, which is called Search, and they search on the name of their trucks. They're kind of a like a waste management, WM, which is called now, type of group. And they're cleaning up the golf course. It's like hole by hole. The guys in the last starting time, they'll have these trucks following them <laughs> on 14 and 15 and 16, emptying out trash bins and all this stuff. And uh, I've, I've had plenty of years at uh, the Open uh, where I've watched that first tee off at 645 from my room or a few years in person, and I watched that last group cut out while having a pint sometime after 9 o'clock when we're off the air. And, uh, man, it's, it's fun. It's what, it's what makes the Open so dark and special. It really does. And uh, the other part of that one T start, 
which you know, maybe folks at home might not realize. You look, if you, if you play golf, look at your scorecard, it'll say out and in uh, after your front nine score and then your back nine score. Well, out and in traces right back to St. Andrews. The first nine holes are out of town, and you go through the loop of 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, you start heading back at 12, and you are heading back in town. So there's a little bit of St. Andrews on every golf scorecard you pick up at a golf course where there's 18 holes. So it's just, to be able to do that, that's why I think we all get so fired up about these Opens at St. Andrews, because... This is the history of the sport. We don't go to the places where the history of the game started for other sports and have championship-level events like Springfield Mass and the Basketball Hall or Cooperstown, New York for the Baseball Hall. Uh, so this is this is why St. Andrews, all Opens are really good. Opens in Scotland are great. The Open at St. Andrews is the best. And I'm actually holding a scorecard right now that says out and in. So there you go. Wow. You'll I will never look at it the same. Yeah. I, no, it's true. I will never look at this the same. And if you would like to put um, my specific scorecard on air next week, I, 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 I will take a picture and send it to PR and they can get it to you uh, for uh, next funny. week. Um, hey, you know, I was thinking about Larry Fitzgerald, who made a what he called a a what he had to do pilgrimage a couple years ago over to St. Andrews. There are so many guys in, in whether it's football, basketball, whatever, who just love this game. When you are in these uh, you know uh, team production meetings before games, and as I said, Mike is the is the new play by play voice for Sunday Night Football. You're there looking for knowledge. You're looking for their, you know, you are looking for football information for the game. How often does golf come up? Oh, oh! If I if I know it's a golfer, like somebody like Steph Curry, uh, if you're doing an NBA game, or you know, you see Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen, uh, you definitely bore Mahomes. I'll definitely bring up what they did in the match or what uh, Kelsey and Mahomes might do out in Lake Tahoe this week. I'll I'll keep an eye on that and. Uh, you know, get, get a little conversation a conversation as golf can be so often amongst home play I, I will tell you that the reverse helped me Jeremy get acclimated to be a golf host huh. so I, I started ESPN in 91 I'm there for 6 years and I started doing golf in 97 on ABC and Curtis Strange you know, he was great he introduced me to everybody out on tour and really made a huge impactful difference 25 years ago when I started covering golf, Curtis said, hey, all these guys are sports fans. So they're probably going to want to talk sports with you as much as you want to talk golf with them. Now, at the time, you know, we didn't have all this fragmentation of sports on cable TV. So Sports Center was a pretty significant place to get all the information that was going on in sports. So we, and there were fewer of us. We probably had more visibility that... Sports interactors of today do not that they don't have visibility, but it was just more at that point. So in '97, I get started, and you know, when I see Davis Love, we start talking to ACC basketball. Is love in Carolina? Freddie Couples loves all sports. Uh, you, you find out really quickly how much these guys are really sports fans, and that was a lot of the conversation when you get out on the range. I remember at the Open, there was this is going to be hard for people to believe. We were pre 
phones. We were dial-up internet for the most part at that point in 97, 98. So there were times that I would get overnight baseball scores online, and then guys would ask me, Lee Jansen was an Orioles fan, he would ask me, how'd the O's do last night? That became kind of a thing for a couple of years at the Open, but between, between Lee and I. So, uh, <laughs> the golfers love sports, and I think all the other athletes love golf. So, when the twain meet, uh, it provides for a great place as a conversation starter uh, before you get down to the business of the moment. That is crazy, but yeah, that there 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 was a time where you were the information for the golfers, which is just wild to think about. Here in uh, 2022, the 150th Open Championship will be on the platforms of NBC Universal. Mike Tirico with us here on teeing it up. I want to make a complete 180. You did something on Super Bowl Sunday that I don't think has gotten uh, 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 gotten enough praise. You go Super Bowl halftime, uh, 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 sorry, Super Bowl pregame, which started at noon Eastern, halftime show, postgame show, you hand out the uh, Lombardi Trophy, uh, you know, about five minutes later, you start hosting the uh, primetime show for the uh, 2022 Olympics, you become the first person to ever do that. And then at 1.47 a.m. Eastern Time, the team figure skating ruling comes down. Tyra Lipinski, Johnny Weir come in. It's got all kinds of technicalities, permutations. There, This is not a clear ruling. And you have to go into journalist mode suddenly at 1.47 in the morning a.m. Eastern Time. I don't know what time you woke up that day, but I don't think you have gotten enough praise for how you handled that 10-minute segment with Tara and Johnny, who were, who were probably woken up for this. We had no idea when that ruling uh, could be coming. How does that journalism switch just turn back on instantly? Because I thought you went from the pomp and the circumstance of Super Bowl Sunday so well to then handling a very, very complicated situation incredibly well. Oh, I, I do appreciate that, Jeremy. That that's uh, that will be uh, that will be forever uh, one of my favorite days. In, uh, period. End of statement. You know. Uh, Professionally, for sure, uh, but it'll 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 rank with my favorite days of all time. Uh, that was a amazing team, two unbelievable teams uh, that I was able to be on their shoulders that entire fourteen hour day, <clears throat> so starting with the Super Bowl pregame and all the way through the Olympics. And you're right that we, we're thinking at one thirty five, one forty. Right, we can we can kind of put this into coast mode, and we'll do a segment guess off the air here. But we can do. A decision might be coming down, and uh, it, we were up, up to speed on everything because of all the days going in and being over in China for 15 days before coming back for the Olympics, uh, hosting it stateside, and then Super Bowl. You know, let, let, let's talk about journalists for a minute. You know, in our jobs, the way it's evolved over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, I think that we as play-by-play announcers, we as hosts, don't have the same journalistic responsibilities that we once had. We used to have a lot more. Uh, I think it's evolved over time. But I do think 
at all times your journalistic curiosity, your journalistic integrity, and your journalistic ability needs to be right there with you every second, every every sentence, every image that goes by. So you don't park those, you know, in a suitcase and bring and use them only when needed. You have to have that when you go into everything. Now, there's a very different level when you're doing an investigative report for 60 minutes or Dateline or Outside the Lines compared to you're calling the second round of a golf tournament. But you never know when something's going to happen on your watch. You've got to be ready for it. And I think that our training over the years, starting at Syracuse, uh, my alma mater, the Newhouse School of Communications, which is one of the top journalism communication schools in the country, uh, because of all the other people who come before me there, not, not me and after. Uh, and then all the way through to uh, time at ESPN, time at NBC, especially around the Olympics, there are times that you need to you need to have that journalism card ready to play. And I think it, it was just the background, the experience, the preparation of all of that for getting to that point, trying to ask the questions that people want answered, and ask Tara and Johnny at that point what their view was, because they, they were very unique, because they were skaters. You know what this feels like? Tara was 15 when she won the gold medal. She knows exactly what being a young skater is all about. And to hear the stories of, we couldn't take cold medicine. Uh, my mom would read every bottle label and ask questions about it. Those are things I never knew. So hopefully we shared with the audience what made it relevant and interesting to them. And the fact that it was just at the end of a long day, that's a great test. You know, you got to be your best in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah. So, uh, so ho- hopefully, hopefully we, we uh, saved our best for the fourth quarter and uh, have a day that we'll talk about and remember for many years to come. Only thanks to, like I said, uh, the teams of Olympics, the Super Bowl, and NBC that helped make that day possible. Mike Tirico with us here on uh, Teeing It Up. He will be the host and uh, call some play-by-play. As, as you heard, at the 150th Open at St. Andrews next week on NBC Universal and streaming on Peacock. All right. I have about two minutes left with you, so okay. I'm going to combine two things into one. Yeah. A, there is always somebody at the Open Championship who yeah. whose name pops up on a leaderboard and maybe hangs around and like wins the whole thing or, or falls off leaderboard gravity, the greatest phrase you ever invented. Scott Van Pelt <laughs> uses it all the time. Um, and for me, those are the Hoygaard brothers right now. Um, Nikolai is, is the one that is, uh, uh, uh qualified. Um, his, uh, brother is actually contending at the Scottish Open, trying to earn one of those last spots in. So who is that person? And then who ultimately are you interviewing holding the Claret jug come Sunday afternoon next week? Wow. Wow. You, you, you throw a couple, couple of good ones there. So. So here, one, one, I'll, one I'll take, take out of your hands there. I'll take the club out of your hands. I'd never give a pick in a golf tournament because I think it's the stupidest thing on planet Earth. <laughs> because, because you can't play defense. It's the one sport you can't play defense. You can't tell somebody when they have the week of their life. Like, where was the person who picked Ben Curtis when he won? Where, where's the, where's the person who said, I got Todd Hamilton? You know, like the, nobody. 
you can't, you can forecast how is the Chiefs defense going to play against uh, the Titans offense. You, you can go through things like that. You can't do it here. So, uh, so I, I will take a pass on that. Point guard's an interesting one. That's a good one. I happen to think, I'll, I'll give you, a, I'll give you two. One, I'll give you one on each side, okay? One on each side of the Atlantic. How about I give you Feastburger and Varner? There you go. I'll give you two names of guys who might might just find a way to be around it. Um, but you're right. The Open gives you amazing stuff. Like uh, Gary Evans had a miraculous Sunday, so miraculous that he put himself as the clubhouse leader and his heartbeat was racing so fast after he did an interview with us they took him to the medical tent to be examined and watched for a half hour before the four-man playoff with uh, Elkington, Appleby, LeVay, and Else when Else beat LeVay in the end and Thomas LeVay picked up Ernie Else uh, with a bear hug after he won, which is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Um, and Rob Campling led the British Open after day one, missed the cut after day two. So, no, this stuff always happens over there. So I'll, I'll give you Beastburger and Barner just as odd names to maybe stay around for a while. But uh, I, I don't know who's going to be there at the end. Uh, but but I do know that that person will take a special place in the history of the game because St. Andrews, whether it was the British Open or the Open Championship, now the Open, uh, I've been around long enough for all three, all three names of the event on the air. Um, it's it's the best. It, it is absolutely. Jim McKay uses a lie, has used a lie. When I got to do a couple with McKay as the host, he called it in one of the teases. He made a '97 or '98 golf's oldest and greatest championship. And once a year, I bring that line out as an homage to Jim McKay, who probably is the only other person who's done about 25 of these in terms of the play-by-player host role, and uh, I'll drag it out one more time because it's the truth. It is awesome, and I can't wait to get back there and be a part of it again this year. Mike Tirico, uh, the host anchor for the 150th Open on NBC, Peacock, and Universal, um, and, and all his other jobs. I can't thank you enough for the time. It has been such a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. Well, my, my pleasure, Jeremy. You keep, keep supporting the game of golf. It's, uh, it's great that people are out there who love it so much the way you do. So uh, we appreciate you and uh, enjoy the Open. Enjoy all the good stuff that's coming afterwards with the FedEx Cup playoffs. Absolutely. Safe travels. Thank you, Jeremy. Bye-bye. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Seeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.